I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it. Snacks with Stein, episode 16. I'm Danielle, and Christy is in lovely Colorado with some bears. How's it going? Um, it's going good. I'm pretty sure that after the fixing of the electric fence, we have shocked the shit out of the bear, and he will maybe move on somewhere else. Somebody Let's else's chickens. Hope. Yeah, Aww. only lost two. Yeah, lost two. R.I.P. R.I.P. chickens. R.I.P. It happens when you live in the mountains. So we hope that this finds you enjoying the start of your summer. Well, technically, this is like July now. So in the middle of summer, which is crazy. And you're enjoying from a safe distance with a mask on. Everyone, get on board, okay? Yeah, (laughs) it's not over because you want it to. Sorry, (laughs) y'all. Yes, because not how science works. <laughs> not how science works. Yeah, I really hope by the time this comes out that everything's fine and Danielle and I are super wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we are. So nope. it'll be interesting. Wear a mask. Yep. Get a cute one. There's tons. Tons, There's tons out there. Get a cute one. You can have them match your outfits and bathing suits now. Just Mm -hmm. make it a part of your life. Okay, what snack are you having today? Okay, so I have taken a page from your book. I have made a uh, charcuterie board of of type, sort of. I've got some saltine (laughs) crackers. I have some Baby Bell cheese wedges. And um, I have pickled green beans. Have you ever had pickled green beans? I have not. I enjoy green beans, especially fried ones. But I've not ever had pickled ones. So this is, um, I made these myself. It's a family recipe. My granny, Granny Campbell, um, was canning these beans, you know, in the 30s. And it's her recipe. Um, I've been making them for years. My family is insane about them. They're so, so good. It's like, it's just like a pickle, but it's a green bean. It's got a nice crunch and a snap and some dilly wow. and garlicky. It's really good. That sounds delicious. Yeah. You should like market those and make them. Um, negative. I enjoy yeah, canning, I but I, I assume the risk <laughs> of botulism and I won't be. Re- yeah. Oh, true. I've never had any Botulism. trouble with it because it's, again, these are recipes that they've been doing since the 30s and everybody's okay. But, um, I, yeah, I would not want the risk of a canned something. I forgot. I forgot about pet pesky botulism. Yeah. If you don't get them to a certain degrees, you don't kill all the bacteria and it's bad news mm-hmm. bears if it sits there for a long time. Creeps. All right. Okay, so now that we learned about botulism, that was Christy Stein. Christy Stein Corner. We'll do a spinoff Facebook group, Canning with Stein. Okay, so tonight we have what I consider one of the the more famous of the Goosebumps books, I guess. Or at least 
I think it's up there. And it is the Abominable Snowman from Pasadena. And this was put out in 1995. So it's one of the older ones, or relatively. And I picked it because I wanted something really summery. And we've been having a heat wave. And like I said, this is a fan favorite. And if you saw the either of the two newer movies with Jack Black, the snowman was most deaf in those movies. And he was a big part of the yeah. first one. So he's he's an icon along with Slappy and those other guys. So... The front cover, I think in my lot of books, I got a reissue because it didn't even have a cracked spine. So I do not have the original version, but I think the cover's the same. And it's our lovely snowman on a very bright, sunny California street. You've got palm trees, a bright pink wall, and he is destroying a lamppost not look happy about it. He's very upset. And the tagline is, he's no fun in the sun. I'm so excited. <laughs> we all like snowman, abominable snowman. There's, there's just something kind of awesome about Yeti, and I just don't know what it is. Like, it's just like, he is like the badass of, of the cryptids. Like you could you could yes. argue Bigfoot, but like the snow element of it just brings Yeti a little higher. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, in my Not mind, to... Yeti's bigger than Bigfoot. I think so. My mind too. Mm-hmm. And not to bring up Disney again, but as a child of Disneyland and of the Matterhorn, Yetis have a very, very special place in my mm-hmm. heart. So, <laughs> and now we have Expedition Everest, who also has a Yeti, but Matterhorn came first. Matterhorn did come first, and I will say, Natalie has the little girl Yeti from Expedition Everest. She named her Gertie. Mm-hmm. I, that's the best name. Gertie ever. the Yeti. <laughs> it's it's perfect. It's like there's just it's magical. All right, um, all right. start this book. Tell me a story. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Jordan Blake has wanted to see snow his entire life. Unfortunately, he's a born and raised resident of sunny Pasadena, California. He's never really felt cold, and in his mind, snow is pretty weird, like something out of a science fiction movie. We're in Jordan's house, and we meet his dad, who is a nature photographer. Jordan and his sister Nicole are watching their dad develop film. For the kids who are listening, <laughs> film is ha- <laughs> film is an old way of taking pictures. You had to like print in a dark room. It's a whole thing. So they're watching and develop film in their dark room, and he had just returned from a trip to the Grand Tetons and was excited to show off his new photos of brown bears that he wanted to turn into a book. And the Blake family had just recently gone through a divorce, and their mom was getting settled into her new home in Pennsylvania. Jordan and Nicole, who had never left California, 
will be spending the summer there, but Jordan wishes he could go ASAP. Because when dad goes on his trips, Mrs. Witchens comes to watch them, and she is the worst. They have to clean their room every morning because she inspects for dust. And her dinners consist of, don't barf, livers, Brussels sprouts, and fish head soup with a glass of soy milk. To wash it down. Honestly, you lost me at soy milk. Okay. That was where we lost you? Soy milk. Liver is damn good if you do it the right way. And Brussels sprouts are okay. I'm not a huge fan. Fish head soup is actually kind of delicious. The head gives it a lot of flavor. But soy milk's just fucking gross. Uh. Find a cow. See, I was and I was in at the soy milk. So I'm all like, bye. And then I'm like, yeah. So that's when you know. This is where you know people live in different places. Because California is like soy milk. And now we're all into oat milk, which, by the way, is bomb. Get on the oat milk train if you can't have real milk. Oat milk. Man. Okay, if you don't like soy milk, because I like soy milk a little bit, but it does water everything down, which I don't like. Oat milk keeps the thick consistency of, like, real milk, so it's way better for coffee and stuff. So, pro tip. How thick? I don't want to chew my milk. No, no, no. But you know how like real milk is not wa- doesn't water something right. down. It doesn't like make it thin. Like that's the wrong word. But you know what I'm saying? Like oat milk has a very similar consistency huh. to milk, to real milk in coffee. I haven't had it like any other way. Cereal, I still just do my my lactose free milk. But for all like coffee now, are oat- you lactose intolerant? Yes, I was not aware. Yeah, I am sorry. I cheat and I take lactate and all that crap. It's fine. Because we've had discussions before about Dole Whip and stuff like that. I never thought. I know. Well, Dole Whip is lactose. Oh, is it? Okay. Dole Whip has no dairy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I have ice cream and stuff. I just take medicine and cry sometimes. (laughs) Milk is the worst, though, for me. It's funny. Like, milk is the worst. Like, the minute I take, like, two sips of milk, like, a Starbucks messes up my order and puts the wrong milk in it, I'm sick within, like, oh, five gosh. seconds. I'm like, oh. I will not mm-hmm. embarrass you by talking about it further. It's just, it's uh, interesting. <laughs> it's a part of my life. It's okay. I, I found oat milk. My life is I feel forever. bad for throwing all this cheese in your face. Look, I eat cheese. I just cheat. I'm a cheater. I have my cheese. Like, I'll have pizza. And then I feel sad. And then I just don't have cheese for three days. So soy milk. (laughs) So they're in the dark room. Mr. Blake's pictures are starting to appear in the red light of the studio. And something is really strange about the bear in the photo. It was a stuffed animal sitting in the grass. Not a real bear. Mr. Blake starts to panic as more of the photos are coming up as fake bears sitting in the grass. Did he grab the wrong carry-on on the plane? What is going on? There has to be some mistake. Where are the pictures I took? Jordan had his back to his dad this whole time. 
but he couldn't hold in his laughter anymore and confessed that before his dad left, he borrowed the camera and staged the shots with the teddy bears. Mr. Blake is at first furious, but Jordan knows his dad will never stay mad as he is known for playing a practical joke or two himself. He tells the kids to let him finish working, and in a few hours, they'll go out to celebrate his luck with the brown bears. Nicole and Jordan leave the darkroom to face the blistering heat. They don't know what to do. It's just too hot. So Jordan suggests a bike ride to see if they feel a breeze. And they head to their friend Lauren's house to see if she wants to come. She is finding respite under a large palm tree in her backyard. And as Jordan sits down next to her, he suddenly feels a stinging cold pain down his back. Ow! Nicole jumps up and checks on Jordan. He had been stabbed with a purple popsicle. The Miller twins... Kyle and Kara jump out from behind a tree, laughing hysterically. They were even worse than Jordan when it came to practical jokes and much meaner. Basically, everyone in the neighborhood is afraid of them, but they really like to pick on Jordan. Jordan cranes his neck to look at the back of his shirt. It was stained purple. Their dad was going to be furious. Kyle and Kara were armed with their super soakers, and just as Nicole mentioned that their dad didn't want them getting dirty, they offered to help by spraying them with water. They were soaked. We were only trying to help. Why don't you take a bike ride to dry off? Jordan didn't like that they mentioned their bikes. This had to mean something was wrong with them. From a distance, they looked fine, but on closer inspection, they had unscrewed and reversed their handlebars. Rude. Hope you have reverse gear. Jordan is not the violent type and does his best to avoid fights, but something in him snapped. They had gone too far. He jumps on Kyle and they tumble to the ground. Jordan tried to keep him down, but Kyle was too strong rolled him over, and pinned him down with one knee. Nicole yells, watch out, and standing over him was Kara, holding a huge rock. Kyle yells at her to drop it, and Jordan can't get free. She lets it drop right on his head. This is so dangerous. <laughs> right? And now he's dead, and the book is over. I'm just I mean... <laughs> the rock lands on his forehead and bounces off. Kara is laughing like a hyena. It was a prop made from sponge. Their dad brought it home from a movie he was working on. Jordan is so pissed, he feels like he has the strength of two Kyles and manages to pin him to the ground again, just in time for Mr. Blake to come walking up. What's up, guys? He starts to deflect, but Mr. Blake is too excited about something to even notice they had been fighting. Wilderness Magazine just called. They want to fly me to Alaska. Oh, great. Dad gets to go on another trip, 
and they get to stay behind, bored to death, melting, and with Mrs. Hitchens. Mr. Blake starts to tell them that he called Mrs. Hitchens and it turns out she can't come and stay this time, so they just have to come with him. Nicole and Jordan are overjoyed. They get to see snow, tons of it. Mr. Blake tells them that they want him to track down and photograph some kind of snow creature, an abominable snowman. Kyle and Kara start to laugh, and Nicole is getting skeptical. Has anybody actually seen this thing? All Mr. Blake knows is that some kind of creature has been spotted, and they want his help tracking it down and taking photos. He knows there is no such thing as the abominable snowman, but they're paying a big fee, and either way, he'll get some great shots of the Alaskan tundra. He leaves the kids to go back to the dark room and reminds them again that they're going to dinner, so don't get into any more trouble. Did you have a super soaker? There it is. I did. I was never, like, big into them, but we had some. They were fun. Fun times. I think that was, like, my please, 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 please. <laughs> Getting sprayed in the face would hurt. Well, I just remember thinking, like, it was such a cool concept because we'd only had, like, crappy, like, dollar store water guns before. And this yeah. Thing, like, you could pump up the pressure and it would shoot real far. <laughs> it's pretty cool. There it is! Mr. Blake was shouting over the roar of the engine of their tiny seaplane. They had finally reached the Ichneck airstrip after what felt like hours of flying over fields of white. Jordan couldn't believe just how white everything was. Dad explains that they'll be staying in a cabin deep in the woods. So after tonight, it will be camping food and sleeping bags. They have to meet their guide, Arthur Maxwell, after they have some dinner in town. The plane is starting to descend and it lurched as the pilot hit the brakes. Jordan notices something huge and white looming at the end of the runway. It was him. It was the abominable snowman. Nicole, Mr. Blake, and the pilot all started laughing. It was just a statue of a polar bear, the symbol for the town. They hopped off the plane at the Ichneck Airport, which was like a tiny wooden house with two rooms. The pilot opened the cargo hold and helped Mr. Blake get his huge red trunk. It was full of supplies and photography gear, but it reminded Jordan of a red coffin. A tall, brawny man approached the group and introduced himself as Arthur Maxwell, and they all exchanged introductions. Arthur wasn't too pleased to see Jordan and Nicole, as he couldn't recall Mr. Blake mentioning kids. Jordan breaks the silence by suggesting they find a place to eat, and Mr. Blake asks how far it is to town. Arthur explains that they're looking at it, it was literally one road. Arthur takes them to a diner called Betty's, and they settle in for their last hot meal of the trip. They go over the plan for getting to camp. It involves a sled, four sled dogs, and ten miles 
of walking. 10 miles? And that's, How old are these that's kids? when I say no. They don't say. I think they're in like the seventh grade, I believe. I remember. And dad's right. in charge. So. Yep. Mm. <laughs> Gonna go bad. Yeah. Real I'm bad. So, this is one of those things that we're like, dad's like, they'll be fine. I did it. I have to do it. It'll mm-hmm. be fine. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. We, before we go to Disney World, I have a schedule. And we take walks together. Like, we build up endurance. There is no mm. damn way those kids are going to walk 10 miles. Yeah. All right. Continue. 10 okay. miles. Good luck, kids. 10 miles. Yeah. Good luck, kids. So, as one would suspect, Jordan and Nicole have never walked that far in their life. So, they are not happy. <laughs> Mr. Blake doesn't want to take a helicopter or like a sea, not a sea, a snowmobile because he wants to take photographs along the way. Great. Jordan wonders if they will see the creature and starts to ask Arthur if he knows anything about the legend. At first, he's tight-lipped and ignores them, but when Mr. Blake asks again, he decides to answer. A few people from the town have spotted him by the big road toward the cabin where they'll be staying. And if he's being honest, he hopes they don't find him. Mr. Blake explains that he is here to prove that he exists and that this is his job. So, you know, he hopes we do find him. And Arthur just keeps insisting that he is real because a fellow musher friend of his got stuck out in a blizzard and ran right into the monster. They all ask what happened, and Arthur just tells them they wouldn't want to know. But Mr. Blake insists that they do want to know. Arthur tells them that the monster made off with one of the sled dogs, and whatever happened to it sounded pretty bad. I know. Nicole interrupts with some useless facts about it being a carnivore, and Jordan elbows her in the ribs to get her to shut up. He continues and says that his friend and another guy went out to search for the monster and never came back. Mr. Blake figures they must have just gotten lost in the snow, but Arthur is insistent that it was the monster. These two knew the woods like the back of their hand and could never have just gotten lost. Jordan's mouth was hanging open, listening to these stories, and Nicole asked if anyone else he knew had encountered it. A couple from New York also came out to get footage and never came back. They found one frozen in a block of ice, and Mrs. Carter, at the end of Main Street, was looking out the window of looking out her telescope and saw it chewing on bones. Wow. Jordan notices... This guy's a shitty tour guide. (laughs) He's like, everyone's dead. (laughs) But you're fine. I'm fine. It's better now. You're good. Jordan notices that Mr. Blake is trying to keep from laughing. Arthur notices too, and he is not too happy that he doesn't believe in the monster. He tries telling them that this is a bad idea. And other people have tried to capture it or get footage and nobody has returned. And they're all taking a huge risk. Mr. Blake reassures everyone that he has heard tales of monsters in the jungle and in the ocean on his shoots before, and none of them were ever true. 
Besides, if they get into any kind of trouble, they can call the ranger station and a helicopter will come for them. Jordan and Nicole are both starting to get pretty worried. They just wanted to see snow. They don't deserve to die. The group was on mile two of their walk to the cabin. And at first, Jordan and Nicole couldn't get enough of the snow, but the cold was setting in. Jordan's hands and toes were starting to feel numb, and he was ready for this walk to be over. Jordan lodged a snowball at his sister's back, and she tried to get their dad's attention, but he was too busy taking pictures of everything. The trunk was being pulled on the sled by four Alaskan Huskies, Binko, Rocky, Tintin, and Lars. Jordan and Nicole were each carrying a backpack full of emergency supplies, just in case. Just in case of what? In case they got lost in the woods, or the dogs ran away with the sled, or the abominable snowman catches them. Mr. Blake finally breaks away from the camera lens, just to yell back at the two to be careful, who are busy hurling snow at each other. But Jordan can't figure out what possible trouble there could be. It's just snow for miles and miles and miles. Jordan runs off and tries to get Nicole to chase after him, but she yells back, look out! But Jordan is not falling for that old trick. He lands hard on his back in a pile of snow and he's struggling to catch his breath. He had fallen into some kind of deep crevasse and was surrounded by at least 20 feet of ice and snow. Jordan grabs onto a rock and tries to hoist himself up, but the ice was too slick. Where were his dad and Nicole? He was going to freeze. Then Nicole's face appeared at the edge of the cliff, and he had never been so happy to see her in his whole life. A few moments later, dad and Arthur appear who lowers a rope down to him and instructs him to get a good grip on the rope and they'll pull him out. They start to heave and Jordan feels like his arms are going to be ripped out of their sockets. Jordan finally reaches the top and Mr. Blake checks him for injuries. Arthur scolds Mr. Blake for bringing the kids and tells Jordan that if we didn't, if we didn't hear you fall, we would have never found you. Mr. Blake tells them both to be more careful and they need to stay close to the sled no more wandering off. Both Nicole and Jordan were too scared to fall into a snow hole again, so they listened this time and stopped messing around. As they get closer to the cabin, Arthur points out a snow rise off in the distance and tells them that is where the snow monster was last spotted. Jordan's eyes were glued to it as they walked. And after about an hour had passed, a brown speck appeared on the horizon. The abandoned mushers' cabin where they'll be stopping for the night. It was abandoned because all of the mushers were too afraid to stay there on account of the monster. Oh, good. Great. Sounds like the best place to stay. Sounds pretty cool to me. I'd stay there. <laughs> With the monster. You're like, yeah. <laughs> This is very um, Dyatlov pass of them that's happening right now. And I'm I'm on board. Like, I think that'd be cool as shit. Okay. It was around 8 p.m. 
by the time they reached the cabin, and Arthur, once again, was not happy. They had taken too long on account of the kids and Mr. Blake's constant picture-taking. They settle in for the night, get the dogs to bed, and as Jordan falls asleep, he is listening for the sounds of the monster's footsteps. Bright morning sun was streaming into the cabin, and Mr. Blake was waking the kids for breakfast. First, he was heading outside to check on Arthur and the dogs. They pull on some clothes, and Jordan wishes he could take a hot shower, as he still felt frozen. Then from outside, they hear their dad exclaim, This is incredible! They race outside to see the commotion, and Mr. Blake is pointing at the ground in shock. Jordan looks down and sees deep, huge footprints in the snow. Monster footprints. Arthur hurried over, and he had a look of sheer terror on his face. They have to go. He was here. We're in terrible danger. The monster is nearby. Nicole and Mr. Blake were leaning in for a closer look, and Jordan is starting to see that even Nicole believes this is the real deal. Then Jordan notices a light glimmering in his dad's eyes, and he squints at him suspiciously. Jordan... I should have known. He started to laugh. He just couldn't help it. Arthur didn't get the joke and was not amused. His face turned red and he stormed off to finish his work. Jordan had woken up before everyone else and drew the prints with with his mittens and made sure to cover his tracks on the way back inside. (laughs) He thought his dad would get a good laugh, but not this time. He sternly reminds them both that this is not Pasadena and anything could happen out here in the wilds of Alaska. Absolutely no more practical jokes. They head inside for breakfast and Arthur joins them. He looks at Jordan and scowls. You think you're funny, but wait till you see the snowman. You won't be laughing then. After breakfast, they head off for the snow rise. Arthur wasn't talking to Jordan, and the walk was generally very quiet and somber. Mr. Blake was clicking away at something good, and they all noticed the herd of elk on the tundra. They had stopped to graze when something spooked them, and they all took off running. The sound of their hooves was thunderous. Something had scared them, Arthur said grimly. It wasn't them, and it wasn't the dogs. Mr. Blake starts to press on, but Arthur insists they head back to town. Something is out there. Mr. Blake was not going to turn back after coming all this way, and they had a job to do, and they were not going back without a good reason. Arthur insists that they have a good reason, but Mr. Blake doesn't see it that way. They keep walking, and the dog stops suddenly at the base of some pine trees and begin to bark. Nicole huddles close to her dad, and Arthur says that something is scaring them, something really bad. Their hair was standing straight up. There is something dangerous on that snow rise, dangerous and very near. I am warning you, Mr. Blake, we need to turn back. Does Arthur have, like, a stash out there or something? Like... I don't know. 
he's being kind of a little girl about things for being a guy. <laughs> right? They haven't actually he's supposed to be anything. like their guy. Yeah, like, we're going to turn yeah. back. Must turn back. <laughs> he's like those people like the Jason movies, like, don't go there. <laughs> like, turn back. Right. And they're like, why? And then, yeah, so I don't know. He's a baby. <laughs> Mr. Blake will not budge and yells at the dogs to mush, but they just keep backing away. Arthur and the dogs will not go any further. The kids look to their dad and he begins to relent. Maybe Arthur is right. Something is definitely scaring the dogs. Maybe it's a bear. Arthur says that it is definitely not a bear and he turns away to walk back toward the cabin. Arthur, come back, called Mr. Blake but he didn't listen. Mr. Blake peers into the woods and wishes that he could just see what was out there. Jordan suggests they go check it out and get some great pictures, but Mr. Blake is starting to think it will be too dangerous. Back at the cabin, Mr. Blake is in a terrible mood. Jordan had just thrown off his heavy backpack and flopped into his sleeping bag when his dad tells them to go collect logs for firewood. Before they can make it out the door, Mr. Blake yells at Jordan to put on his backpack immediately. He cannot ever leave the cabin without his bag. Everything inside it will keep him alive if he gets lost. Jordan and Nicole head over to a line of trees on top of the ridge. They peer over it and notice a frozen river and decide to get closer. Ignoring Nicole's advice, Jordan tests out the ice and declares it solid and wonders if the fish were still alive under there. Nicole reminds him that dad will kill him if he has another accident, so he backs off from exploring and they go collect their firewood. Once they got back to the cabin, it seems that Mr. Blake's bad mood had started to wear off and he suggested pancakes for dinner. Breakfast dinner is the best dinner. All oh, all the time. If I'm if I'm in that place where I'm all like, I don't time. know what to make. I'm really mm-hmm. tired of making dinner, yeah. and I don't want to fight the kids <laughs> about dinner. I'm like, you know what? Breakfast, Breakfast for dinner. dinner. Mm-hmm. The only thing you really have to Breakfast determine dinner. is: do you want to make pancakes or waffles? Mm-hmm. Tough choices, but either is good. Either is good choice. Mm-hmm. So pancakes for dinner, and they tell him about the stream that they found. As they start to clear the table, they hear the dogs beginning to bark. (coughs) Arthur looks terrified. The dogs were yelping and barking. What had gotten them so spooked? Arthur heads off to go check, and Mr. Blake is throwing on his gear to follow after him. He tells the kids to stay put. A few moments later, he pokes his head in and tells them everything was clear. So he grabs his camera and tells them that he is heading off to photograph the stream and they need to stay inside the cabin. It was around 8 p.m., but still light outside, and neither Jordan or Nicole could go to sleep. It was too bright and they were wide awake. Jordan suggests they go outside to build a snowman, and after some resistance, Nicole finally gives in and they grab their stuff to head out. Just like her dad, she won't let Jordan leave without his backpack. They step outside, and Nicole grabs Jordan by the arm. Listen, it's Arthur. 
it was Arthur, and he was hitching one of the dogs to the sled. The others were already hitched and ready to go. Hey, Arthur, what's up? Jordan calls out to him. He turns back, startled, definitely not expecting them, and without saying a word, jumps onto the sled and yells mush at the top of his lungs. Arthur, where are you going? Nicole and Jordan take off after the sled, yelling for him to please stop. But the sled kept getting farther and farther away. Arthur never looked back. Nicole and Jordan chase after the sled in vain and watch it get smaller and smaller over the ridge. Eventually, it disappeared out into the frozen tundra. He falls to the ground, exhausted and out of breath. Arthur had taken all of their food and supplies, leaving them stranded. What an That's ass. a dick move, Arthur. Like, I'm not... He's a and <laughs> Well, I mean, truly, like, it, out in that landscape with no supplies, I mean, you have effectively mm-hmm. murdered, like, a family. And I just... I'm right? confused about his motivation. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, yes, he's, he's been avertant to, like, the monster... But I, I, I didn't feel like he was in a panic state enough to, like, kill a family. Right? I didn't get it either. Nicole yells for Jordan to get up, and they both realize they have no idea where they are. All around them was just white and gray, and then more white. They argue about the direction of the cabin and decide they should follow their tracks back. Unfortunately... The snow is just getting heavier, and most of them have already been covered up. Nicole is terrified, and so is Jordan, but he's trying to keep a brave face. They keep walking, calling out, Dad! Dad! Making sure to keep a hold of each other through the wind and flurries. Nicole shouts, Look! and thinks she sees something through the trees. Jordan didn't see it, but followed. And then the ground gives way beneath their feet. Oh, they did. They're dead. They're dead. And the book ends. <laughs> Sorry, there's no snow monster. The book is over. Thanks for coming. Down they fell. Down into the freezing white. The snow rushed past them, burying them. Jordan thought this was another crevasse. A really, really deep All around them were high walls of snow. Chunks were breaking off at the top and landing with soft thuds on the ground of the pit. Nicole begins to wail. We're trapped down here. Dad will never find us. Jordan grabs her by the shoulders and with as much bravery he can muster, tries to assure her that Dad will find them. They will be okay. Then Nicole begins to scream. Dad! over and over, raising her head toward the sky and screaming at the top of her lungs. Jordan clamps a mittened hand over her mouth, but it was too late. Nicole had started an avalanche. Sheets of snow begin to tumble in around them. Jordan pushes Nicole up against the wall of the pit and he does the same. As the snow keeps pouring in, the wall eventually gives way and they go tumbling forward into the dark, watching the pit fill to the brim with snow. Their way out was gone. 
They crouch in the darkness of this tunnel-like opening, and Jordan thinks it may be some kind of passageway. He could see a dim light in the distance. Crawling on their hands and knees through the tunnel, they reach the light at the end and are able to stand up. They were now inside of a larger cave, and the only sound they could hear was the dripping of melting icicles. Nicole whispers, Look! And on the ground was a huge footprint, much bigger than the one Jordan had made for his joke that morning. Five of his own shoes could fit inside the one footprint, and there were more of them. Nicole grabs onto Jordan. Do you think... Jordan knew what she was thinking, and they followed the giant footsteps, which led to a shadowy corner of the cave and came to an abrupt stop. Jordan and Nicole look up at the same time. There it was. The creature. The abominable snowman. Looming over them, standing upright like a human, covered in brown fur with a hideous face. Half man, half gorilla. His eyes were big and black. He wasn't that tall, but seemed huge. His hands were as big as baseball mitts. Jordan and Nicole are trapped. There was no way they can escape this creature. And just like that, he begins to move. Jordan's teeth begin to chatter as he waits for the monster to reach out and grab them. But a minute goes by, and nothing. Wait a minute. He didn't move. He was frozen in the ice. The monster stood inside it like a statue. He must have made the footprints as he walked back here and froze somehow. Nicole leans in for a closer look. Like the rest of his body, his giant hands are covered in matted fur and he has long, sharp claws. Jordan starts to wonder what they could be for. Tearing wild animals to pieces? Ripping apart the people who got in his way? His toes also had short, sharp claws and Jordan studied his face. His skin was pinkish red with thick white lips set in a grimace. Jordan cannot wait for his dad to see this. If he can get a photo, he'll be famous. But first, they need a way out. He starts pressing his hands to the walls, searching for holes, cracks, anything. And after a few minutes, he finds something. It's just a tiny crack but maybe it leads to a way out. They press on it, chip at it, karate chop it, but nothing budges. So they keep searching. And then suddenly, they hear a loud crack in the distance. Jordan turns around, thinking Nicole had found something, but the sound wasn't coming from her. It was the ice. The monster was breaking out. The block of ice splintered apart and the abominable snowman burst from the ice. It fell to the ground and burst like glass. The snowman shook himself off and growled like a wolf. Jordan screams at Nicole to run. There is nowhere to go. He thinks to duck into the passageway, but Nicole reminds him that it's blocked from the avalanche. They huddle into a corner, trying to become invisible. And across the cave, the snowman roars so loudly it shakes the walls. 
Jordan thinks that maybe he hasn't spotted them. But Nicole thinks, then why is he roaring? The monster sniffed and twitched his gorilla nose in the air. He can smell us. The monster turned his head one way and then the other. He was searching for them. He grunts and stares into the corner of the cave. The creature is staggering toward them, grunting with every step. Pressing themselves as flat against the wall as they can, Jordan wishing that the wall would swallow them. Anything would be better than being eaten by the snowman. The snowman stops inches in front of them and lets out another deafening roar. They both see them, his teeth. Two rows of razor sharp teeth. The snowman growls again and reaches for them and barely misses. He snarls in frustration and this time doesn't miss, clamping his huge paw on Nicole's head. Help, he's crushing me. Jordan knows he is helpless against the monster. The snowman turns her around and rips off her backpack with one swipe, tearing it open. He reaches inside and pulls something out. Trail mix. <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> Dude, some trail mix is just top shelf. Okay. Yeah. This is like top. Shelf trail mix. Yeah, chubby little California kids. <laughs> yeah, those might get stuck in your teeth. But man, the, I guarantee you, this trail mix has M&M's in it. <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Nicole and Jordan stare in amazement as he pours the bag of mix into his mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. This is so, so, yeah. This is so weird. The abominable snowman likes trail mix? The monster starts digging through the rest of the backpack and roars in anger. Nicole whispers, There's no more trail mix. <laughs> Jordan grabs his bag of trail mix out of his backpack and tosses it at the monster. He finishes Jordan's bag even quicker and they are officially all out of trail mix. The monster stretches and roars and with two gigantic arms reaches out toward them, grabs them both off the ground and brings them to his face toward his mouth, preparing to eat them. Jordan struggled, but the monster was too strong. He pounced his fist on his chest and kicked him as hard as he could, but it didn't seem to faze him. The monster had draped them over the crook of one arm, gripping them tightly. Where is he taking us? Maybe he wants to roast us on a fire, thought Jordan. Maybe he doesn't like to eat kids raw. He kept walking toward the back of the cave, and with one swipe knocked a boulder aside. There was a narrow passage behind it. Jordan and Nicole groan. Why didn't they see that before? The snowman pulls them through the passage, and they are in a smaller cave that was filled with light, and they could see the gray sky above. Balancing the kids in one arm, the monster starts to scale the walls, and with big, lurching steps, he climbs out. The blizzard had stopped, and fresh snow blanketed the tundra. The monster's footsteps were sinking deep into the snow, 
and each time Jordan tried to break free, the monster's claws would dig a little deeper. Poor dad, thought Jordan. He'll never know what happened to us, unless they find our bones in the woods. In the distance, Jordan hears something. A barking dog. The snowman stops and puts Jordan and Nicole down the snow. They look at each other for a minute and take off running. They can't tell if he's chasing them. All they see is white. Then a dark spot in the distance. The cabin. They hear a dog furiously barking, the one that Arthur had left behind. Jordan and Nicole burst through the doors. Dad, Dad, we found the abominable snowman. But the cabin was empty. Empty and bare. They were all alone. Nicole wondered why the snowman let them go and what would have happened to them if the dog didn't start barking. They peer out the window looking for any signs of Mr. Blake, but they don't see a thing. Then the dog starts to bark again. The monster was back. Jordan and Nicole race around the cabin looking for a place to hide, and they squeeze in behind the wood stove. All they hear is the crunch, crunch, crunch of the monster's heavy footsteps, and they stop just outside the door. It blows open with a blast of cold air. Jordan? Nicole? It was Mr. Blake. He looks around the cabin, expecting them to be asleep, and asks them what happened to Arthur. They explain that he took off, and Mr. Blake starts to get a little panicked. They have to radio for help. They won't survive without food. Jordan and Nicole cut him off and tell him that they found the snowman. Of course, Mr. Blake just assumes Jordan is up to his old tricks. But this time, Nicole is on his side, and he always believes her. After some convincing, they walk with their dad back to the opening to the cave, and he wants to check it out. Jordan tells his dad to wait. There's a monster down there. But he was already halfway down the passage, and Jordan has no choice but to join them. He didn't want to be outside alone. The three of them make their way to the smaller cave, and Jordan is lagging behind. How could they escape a second time? He had a very bad feeling. Mr. Blake grabbed Jordan by the hand and tugged him into the cave. There was no sign of the snowman. Mr. Blake was cameras clicking away, taking pictures of everything in sight. Jordan made sure to stay close to his dad, and he was the first one to finally notice him. He was once again frozen in a huge block of ice his black eyes glaring at them, and his mouth set in a toothy snarl. Mr. Blake is in awe and declares it the most amazing discovery in history. He stopped shooting for a moment and was staring at the monster quizzically. Why go home with nothing but photos? Why not take the snowman himself back to California? Nope. It will create a sensation. Nope. Dude, bro. <laughs> Jurassic Park did this. It's not it's not going to work out. It's a bad idea. I have a question. It's not going to work out for you. Do they explain yeah. why or how he is refrozen in ice? Not yet. Okay. They have not explained it gotcha. yet. Gotcha. Jordan warns him that this thing is alive, remember? It could break out of the ice at any moment, and there is no way they could control him. Mr. Blake surveyed the ice block, 
and thinks that if they can cut off some of the edges, it will fit into their supply trunk. It's airtight, so he won't melt. Jordan and Nicole cannot believe their dad is being so insane. Jordan once again reminds him that they were attacked, and Nicole points out the razor-sharp teeth. But Mr. Blake says, it's worth the risk. Dad of the year. Dad of the year. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no mom would do this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, there's definitely like a lot of willful ignorance going on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They rush back to the cabin for the saw and the trunk, but realize they'll also need a sled for the dog to pull. Nicole remembered the sled that was left behind, and they attach Lars to it and head back to the cave. Mr. Blake begins to hack away at the ice block, while Jordan watches for any sign of movement from the monster. Do you have to saw so loudly? He could wake up. The slightest crack sends Jordan into a panic, but so far the monster hasn't shown a single sign of life. After what felt like hours, they got the monster into the supply trunk, and Jordan suggests to Nicole that they sneak a few snowballs back with them to get Kara and Kyle back at home. The three manage to somehow, with the help of Lars and the sled, hoist the creature out of the cave and onto the snowbank. It was past midnight once they reached the cabin, and they all wanted to sleep but Mr. Blake didn't want them to stay there overnight without food and supplies, so he reached into his bag for the radio. But the radio was gone. No, they all scream. Arthur must have taken it when they, so they wouldn't report him. This creep took our food, our supplies, and left us here to die. Nicole is starting to panic, and Jordan is trying to keep her calm, but Mr. Blake is in a panic, too. He just needs to think his way out of this. There has to be a way out. Dad, yells Jordan, you wrapped up the radio in your sleeping bag overnight so it wouldn't freeze. And sure enough, it was there, wrapped in a wool scarf. Mr. Blake calls for the Icknick Airport, and Nicole and Jordan are overjoyed to be going home. They never want to see snow again. The radio said it was going to be 100 degrees, and Jordan and Nicole couldn't be happier. The Alaska trip seemed like a distant bad dream, but Jordan knew it wasn't. He remembered everything, every time he walked past the dark room where Mr. Blake was keeping the monster. Catching some sun in their backyard, their friend Lauren had come over to hear all about the trip, but Nicole and Jordan didn't really want to talk about it. Plus, she couldn't know what they found. Nicole just tells her that it's a big secret, and of course Lauren keeps pressing her, but before they can answer, Mr. Blake comes out and lets them know he's off to a meeting with some wildlife experts. He wants to be sure that the creature gets to the right hands and is treated well. Before he leaves, he reminds them for the millionth time, do not touch the supply trunk. 
Once he's gone, Lauren is relentless with her questions and vows to not leave them alone until they tell her what is going on. So they tell her, we found him. Found who? The abominable snowman. Lauren just starts laughing and assumes that they have to be kidding. This was the dumbest joke and they were as bad as the Miller twins. This sets Jordan off and they decide that nothing bad will happen and just quickly open the trunk and slam it shut, right? The three make their way to the dark room and he kneels beside the trunk, unhooks the latch, peers inside and lets out a blood curdling scream. Nicole jumped back and hit the wall with a crash. Lauren scrambled under a table. Jordan couldn't hold in his laughter. He had scared them to death and they were frozen, just like the monster, who was still safely trapped inside his block of ice. Lauren steps up to get a closer look. She cannot believe that he's real. Nicole says they have been in here too long and to close the lid. Jordan does, but sneaks out two snowballs before it slams shut. He passes one to Nicole and starts to giggle. Hey, Lauren, think fast. And Nicole sends the snowball in her direction, but it hits a tree with a loud splat. Instead of crumbling to the ground, the snow started to grow. It spread up the tree trunk, over the branches, and in seconds, the entire tree was covered. Jordan was so shocked by what just happened, he dropped the snowball he was holding onto the ground and it began to spread. Soon, the entire lawn they were standing on was covered in a blanket of snow. This is too weird. It's 100 degrees outside and the snow isn't melting. Nicole is starting to get really worried. They should never have taken snow from the cave. Something is wrong with the snow. It's not normal. Lauren can't believe they brought snow to Pasadena, and she's dancing around, kicking up flurries, and everywhere it touches turns to white. She suggests a snowball fight, and both Jordan and Nicole yell, don't touch it, but it was too late. She was already packing the snow in her hands and aiming straight for Nicole. Instantly, the snow covered her entire body like a snowman. She was frozen solid. Nicole was a statue, a frozen statue. Lauren started to cry. What have I done? Jordan suggests they get her inside. Maybe being indoors and away from the snow will warm her up. First, they prop her in front of the oven, turning it to full blast and the burners for good measure, but it wasn't working. Then Jordan thinks of the furnace, which has to do the trick. They turned the furnace all the way up and the heat roared out. The red flames were reflecting off of Nicole's frozen face. Jordan starts to panic. This wasn't working and they were out of options. Then he remembers how warm the abominable snowman felt when they were captured. How is it that a creature who lives in the snow managed to stay so hot? Lauren and Jordan drag the Nicole icicle into the dark room and he tells Lauren to stay put and he runs inside the house. Jordan starts searching high and low for trail mix. Please let there be trail mix inside this house. 
racing back to the darkroom, Jordan opens the latch and starts waving the bag of trail mix in the monster's face. Lauren is pretty sure he has totally lost it. Jordan is frantically waving the trail mix over the snowman, looking for any sign of life, any movement, but he just stared lifelessly back at them. He puts a handful into his mouth and says, Boy, is this good. I love trail mix. <laughs> Lauren starts to cry again. Give up, Jordan. It's not going to work. Jordan jumped at the faintest sound. He touches his sister's stiff arm. The plan wasn't working. Lauren was sobbing and no help at all. Maybe their dad will be able to solve this. Then he hears it. A crack. And again, another crack, but this time louder. Then again, a huge crack, and the block of ice ripped apart. The snowman started to groan. Lauren starts screaming, it's alive. The monster starts to lurch toward Jordan, reaching out and swiping his paws at him. Jordan wants to get out of there, but he can't leave his sister behind. The monster swipes at him again, and this time grabbed the trail mix from his hands. It dawns on Jordan. This is all stupid monster wanted. He pours the bag into his giant mouth and tosses it away. Lauren is screaming, put him back in the trunk. But Jordan has no idea how he's supposed to do that. Then he starts to walk toward Nicole with stiff lumbering steps that shook the floor. The monster reaches his giant arms toward Nicole, gets them around her body, and begins to squeeze. Lauren starts screaming again. He's crushing her. It was Jordan's turn to be frozen, frozen with fear. The creature hugged Nicole hard, so hard that he lifted her off the ground. Without thinking, Jordan dives forward and starts grabbing at the monster and struggles to pull him off of Nicole. But he is too strong and angrily brushes him away. Lauren shouts, look, look. He saw that a small puddle of water had collected under Nicole's feet. As soon as it hit the floor, it evaporated and vanished. Jordan gets a little closer and sees a dot of pink on her cheek. He was defrosting her. The snowman releases Nicole, and the ice and snow had all melted and disappeared. Aw, she just needed a hug. I know. Nicole rubbed her face as if she was just waking up and had no idea what happened. They tell her that she has been frozen, and they turn to see the snowman just watching them from the corner of the room. Jordan yells to him, thank you and he doesn't know if he understood, but he grunts back. Lauren is freezing and wants to get out of there and turns to open the darkroom door. The sun blasts them and they forget. They had forgotten all about the lawn covered in snow. Hey, Jordan yells as he sees the snowman leap out of the darkroom. He's escaping. They all start to call out to him, but he's ignoring their cries and his footsteps thunder across the lawn. His gaze settles on the snow-covered tree, and just like with Nicole, he begins to squeeze, and the snow melts away. 
then he drops to the ground and begins to roll in the snow. It seems to stick to his fur, and as he rolled, the snow vanished beneath him. Before long, all of the snow was gone, and his eyes went wide, and he let out a painful cry. The abominable snowman is looking around, stunned, at the green grass, palm trees, and he turns his eyes toward the blazing sun. He clutches his head and screams in terror. Seeming confused and frightened, he takes off down the street. Jordan runs after him as he tears through someone's yard, but there is no way he can catch up. Lauren thinks he must be looking for someplace cold and that he'll probably find a cave in the mountains. They all hope that he finds somewhere safe with a supply of trail mix. Heading back inside to the supply trunk, only one word is on their minds. Dad. He was going to kill them. His amazing discovery was gone, and it was all their fault. As they close up the supply trunk, they notice the two remaining snowballs. Nicole insists they have to get rid of them. They are way too dangerous. Jordan knows she is right and suggests that they hide them somewhere. So they grab a garbage bag and put the snowballs inside. They know that if anyone gets a hold of them, they'll be in big trouble. The snowman is the only way to get rid of the snow, and he's gone. Lauren starts joking that they should turn Pasadena into a ski resort and skate on Kara and Kyle's pool. Jordan shudders thinking about Kyle and Kara. Nicole suggests that they will bury them in an empty lot nearby. It was full of sand and trash. Nobody will find them there. They walk to the empty lot, shovel in hand, and begin to dig. Once the hole was big enough, they drop it inside, and Jordan says, Goodbye, snowballs. Goodbye, Alaska. Thinking that this crazy adventure was finally over, they all settle in front of the TV with cold apple juice and wait for their dad to get home. How bad could it be? Things were very quiet around the dinner table that night. Mr. Blake just kept repeating, but the most important thing is that they were safe. He will have to tell the Natural History Museum that they will have to settle for the photographs. Nicole and Jordan try perking him up and say that they aren't just photographs. They're going to change the world. He wants to start developing the film right away, thinking it might perk up his spirits to see the footage. So they clean up dinner and head to the dark room. As the photos start to appear in the red light, Mr. Blake looks confused. There was nothing but snow. Ten pictures in a row of snow. Nicole glares at Jordan, but he swears he didn't do anything this time. Mr. Blake starts to scream. This cannot be happening. The snowman should be standing right there. All of the other photos had turned out fine. The cabin, the sled dogs, the herd of elk. It was as if the snowman never existed and the whole thing never happened. Nicole and Jordan decide to leave the dark room to let their dad finish his work. When they notice the Miller twins digging around in the vacant lot across the street, they were digging up the snowballs. Those creeps had to have been spying on them the whole time. They run across the street at full speed. They have to stop them. Kyle rips open the garbage bag, swings his arm back, and aims at Kara. 
No, Kyle, stop. Don't throw it. Splat. The end. What? Yep. Okay. Questions? Questions? Um, <laughs> you know, as yetis go, this one was really very helpful. Mm-hmm. And all he wanted was trail mix, which is understandable because it probably had M&M's. Um, mm-hmm. So that's cool. But I feel like we might be sending a, a, a bad message about not dealing with things. <laughs> right? Because they kind of just... just let him go. Okay, bye. Like, Good luck. Yeah. You look like you're in pain, but it's cool. See ya. Yeah, they like release they- him into the wild. Of Pasadena. Of Pasadena. They take the rest of their problems and bury them in a vacant lot. Um... <laughs> And, you know, go about their lives. This is, uh, mm. And now, now presumably we have an icicle child. Right? Because presumably Kyle threw it at his sister and now she's a pop star. Forever. Well, no, Kyle's going Forever. to jail or mm-hmm. detention center or something. Yeah. And she's dead because mm-hmm. you don't come back. She's dead. Especially if there's no Yeti to bring you back. I enjoyed it because I love the snow and I love snow stories. <laughs> and, and of course, we've already talked about how much we love Yeti. Um, mm-hmm. So I enjoyed it, but I have, feel bad for the poor Yeti. Me too. He's just like, and they don't really explain the magic snow. I mean, we know the snow is obviously haunt, not haunted or whatever. It's magic, but well, obviously we'll never know why. I think the cave scene um, is probably my favorite because that whole thing about like, Falling into a cave system and not knowing the way out is a genuine fear Mm -hmm. that I have. Definitely. Not that I'm near any cave systems or any bullshit like that, but like (laughs) whenever that happens in a movie, um, it makes me extremely uncomfortable. I don't like not knowing where I'm going. I think it's a control (laughs) thing, right? Like we like to be in control. Mm -hmm. We like to know what to do. And that's a Mm -hmm. situation where you are likely going to die. And you don't have Mm -hmm. any hope of knowing where to go. And that's uh, terrifying. And it's not like death will come quickly unless you have some kind of instrument to kill yourself. Right. I was was more afraid of like being trapped underground in a cave and never found again than I was of um, Mm -hmm. of the Yeti. Well, and then we (laughs) did we ever get a reason about why the other guy was such an asshole? No, I mean, I think he was just afraid. Like He wanted to keep his trail mix. He wasn't sharing. Yeah, he didn't want to give it up. Mm-mm. Okay, well, that was good. <laughs> that was good. It's a fun one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. I liked it. If, um, if you liked it, if you love hearing Danielle tell stories as much as I do, and you're like, oh, my God, I must have more. I cannot wait. <laughs> for the next episode to drop. I cannot wait. If you are in that boat, we have a solution for you. We do have a Patreon. You can go and sign up for as little as $2 a month. We drop all of our episodes on Patreon early. 
You will always get them first. We take care of our patrons first. That's just the way it is. Also, we have a goal for our Patreon. If we get 50 patrons at any level, we will start doing a monthly drawing for the Snacks with Stein Cup O Swag. Swag! So the Cup <laughs> of Swag is pretty awesome. It's a Snacks with Stein color-changing tumbler cup and inside of the cup there's all kinds of cool stuff there's going to be like chocolate snacks with stein theme there's like chapstick in there there's a cool coffee sleeve so like when you go out to get your starbucks you can slip on your snacks with stein coffee sleeve so a lot of cool stuff in the cup when we hit 50 we're going to start giving those away one per month, we're going to do a drawing only of the patrons. So definitely go and sign up if you want to get those early episodes, if you want to be entered into that drawing to win. The next episode is a return to Fear Street with Party Summer. Yes, I'm feeling summertime vibes hard right now. And we are going to be going back to the beach with Party Summer. I'm excited about it. But until next time, we are out. Like vowels in the Russian 